Hi, this is Pastor Sam Murphy from Christ Centered Church, and you are listening to Christ Centered Cast. Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. Please turn your copy of God's Word tonight, whether or click on your copy of God's Word, either way. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Paul writes to the church in verse 9 of Romans 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, or before by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father God, I pray as we look at the words of Paul, that they would drill deep into our hearts, that we would keep these verses in mind any time that we interact with or deal with others, especially other believers. And I ask that these words would inform our relationships and that we would live them out in practical ways. That's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in running a tabletop role-playing game like Dungeons & Dragons or Pathfinder, uh, as a game master, you know, and should, the party should know, and if they don't know in the beginning, they learn very soon that one of the cardinal rules is that you don't split the party. Well, what does that mean? An example of that would be, as a game master, when you're running the game, one of the people playing the game, one of their characters, says, I'm going to go off over here. Or a couple of them get together and they say, we're going to go check this out ahead of time, or we're going to go make sure it's safe, or we just think we should go this way instead of that way, which is the way that the rest of the party wants to go. And as a game master, you giggle on the inside, and you go, oh, this is going to be fun. A bit of a headache, because then you're keeping track of two scenarios, but also it's going to be fun. Why? Because anyone who's ever played a game with myself, or really any other game master, If you've played this game, you know that invariably bad things are just going to happen. It's not going to go smoothly. And then when you're separated and divided, those threats that you were originally going to face together now seem that much worse because you're going it either alone or with less people than you could have gone with. And there is folly in that. In fact, it's almost never the right call to break the party apart and go separate ways because it is a team-based game. And just as splitting the party can be hazardous to one's health and impede your goals and objectives in the game, 
The same can be said in the Christian life as well. Because our enemy Satan loves when Christians struggle to get along and try to go it alone. It brings him great joy when that happens. Because it is then we are most vulnerable to spiritual attack when we're trying to go in a different direction or we're not agreeing with people or we're not seeking resolution in our conflicts and we're going, you know what, I think I'm better off without them. More often than not, you are not better off without them. Getting along with others, though, has always been difficult, even since the days of the early church. But it has also always been worth it from the very beginning. Because good relationships are so vital to the Christian life, Paul addresses them in Romans, where he shares some of the identifying qualities of what it means to be a true Christian. In fact, if you look at the heading in your copy of God's Word, it probably says something akin to marks of a true Christian or qualities of, of one who follows Christ or something of that nature. Because this passage is predominantly considered to be a section of what it looks like to live out your relationship with Christ in your relationships with other people. Because our relationships with others are actually a reflection of our relationship with Christ, ultimately. This particular letter penned by the Apostle Paul was to the church at Rome, thus being Romans. It was written with the intent of unifying Jewish and non-Jewish uh, non Christians into one body. You see, there had been uh, a situation where the church was essentially split ethnically, and Paul was calling them together, and you had Jewish believers that believed in spirituality being based on the Old Testament rituals, and the church that were believers who were non-Jewish did not hold to those traditions because they did not grow up around them, they were not exposed to them. And now you had a bunch of people trying to sort out and figure out what it meant to be a true Christian, what it meant to look like and live as a true Christian. And Paul says, ladies and gentlemen, you need to work together. You need to understand that the cultural differences that you have are not necessarily spiritual differences. And in fact, these are the marks or what a true Christian looks like, not the things that you participate in ritualistically, but rather how you live with one another. And what we see in this text, in this sound biblical theology, is ultimately practical Christian living in our relationships with others. It's how to get along with other people, especially Christians. Because remember, our target audience is Christians who are not getting along with one another. And as we look at this text, we're going to see three go-tos for getting along with others, especially Christians. That could be a little comma there. I didn't include it, but it could be a little comma there. Because it seems like sometimes getting along with Christians is the hardest thing to do, right? Of anyone else in our lives. It's sad, right? But Satan works in that. And he wants to divide us. He wants to split the party so that he can have some kind of an advantage, at least in his mind. So that's why it's so important as believers that we keep the party together. That we resolve our conflicts. That we learn how to live with one another. That we learn how to get along with one another. And we're going to see how. We're going to see three go-tos so that we can go to those and know how to live with others. The first that we see in this text, in verses 9 through 13, Paul tells us that the first go-to, go-to number one, is to love others genuinely. Love others genuinely, or sincerely. And he starts this passage with that. He kicks things off right away. Why? Because we know in other passages that what? Love covers a multitude of sins, right? It doesn't cover them as though they didn't happen. What it does is bathe them in forgiveness so that we can work through them and process them, and so that we can, when it's appropriate, get resolution and reconciliation. 
though we won't get reconciliation 100% of the time, more often than not, we can get reconciliation. But it only comes when we love others genuinely. Because love empowers our ability to forgive and our interactions with others. So he starts with that, let love be genuine. What we see in this text in verses 9 and 10 is that genuine love, if we're going to try to define genuine love, is that genuine love is something that is demonstrated. It's something that you can see. It's something that is lived out. It's demonstrated. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. So there's a visible demonstrative rejection of what's evil and a clinging to what is good. He says about love, if it's genuine, love one another with brotherly affection. So again, this is to believers. It's to other Christians. It's to other Christians about other Christians because he's saying brotherly affection because Paul knew how sometimes Christians can be the absolute worst when it comes to relationships. That's why it's written here. That's why God had Paul write it here. And he says, you need to treat others, other believers, like family like family that you love. So he has that qualifier in there. Because we might sit there and go, well, I have some family I don't particularly care for. Well, he's, no. Love others like family. Love one another with brotherly affection. Demonstrate it. He says to outdo one another in showing honor. So kind of make it a competition, if you will. That's the idea of outdo there, is to you know, one-up that person in showing them love. It's not just trying to get by and and loving them as much as they love you, and showing them love as, as much as they show you love, and going, well, I'm justified in my pettiness because I'm doing, I'm doing at least what they're doing, but I'm not going to do any more than that. He says to outdo them, to make it a point to go above and beyond what it is you're receiving, to demonstrate genuine love to other believers and brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter how they treat you. Genuine love is demonstrated. We also see from this text, from this passage in the text, that genuine love is also active in verses 11 and 12. So he says, outdo one another in showing honor. And then he goes on to address spiritual laziness in verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Don't be lazy with your spiritual energy. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. There's an, an active nature here to how you interact with others and how you serve the Lord. And ultimately, it's our spiritual laziness more often than not that bleeds into our relationships, isn't it? Because when we're lazy with God, we don't have a problem being lazy with other people when it comes to demonstrating love to them or showing them love. We go, ah, it's just easier not to go out of my way for them. They wouldn't go out of their way for me, so why should I go out of my way for them? He says, don't be lazy. Don't be lazy with your zeal. Be fervent. Serve the Lord. There's an activity here that I think we miss out on sometimes. He says the genuine love is demonstrative. We show it. It can be seen, but it's also active. It's something that we should aspire to with zeal. He says also fervency, this idea of energy or, or even, dare I say, a bit of aggression, but not bad aggression. It's not all aggression is bad. So what we have here is a zeal and a fervency. Genuine love is demonstrated. Genuine love is also active. And then we also see genuine love is something that is giving. It's something that's giving. Verse 12. He says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute 
to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So he's now he's getting to the heart of what you do with your resources, with what you do with what he has given you. And he calls them to remember the needs of the saints. Because again, just like it seems like sometimes it's easier to be nice to people or kind to people who don't know Christ, it sometimes so much seems so much more difficult to be kind to other Christians, right? Because we think, well, they should know better. They should act different. They should be different. We sit in judgment, and we don't have the right to do so because we're no better than they are. But he says, contribute to the needs of the saints. Why would he say that? Because apparently they needed to be reminded. And it's a demonstration of genuine love when you give without having anything that you can receive in turn. They're addressing needs. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So allow them to enter your life. Don't be standoffish with other believers and keep them at arm's length. Because for any number of reasons, well, I don't like them, or they're weird, or whatever. I mean, there's a million reasons we might come up with to not let other Christians into our life, to not fellowship with them. And they're wrong. Because Paul says that genuine love is demonstrated through a contribution to the needs of the saints, as well as a willingness to be involved in the lives of others and to allow them into your life. It's easy to meddle, right, folks? Not so easy when it seems like somebody might be meddling with us. But it's really not meddling at all. Genuine relationships founded on genuine love are beneficial mutually. So he says, let other people in. Seek, look for ways to be hospitable, hospitable to other believers. Because that is a demonstration and a reflection of genuine love. How do we get along with other people? The first way is by changing our mindset and choosing to love others genuinely, not superficially, but sacrificially, in a way where we demonstrate it, we are active in it, we're not lazy, and we give to others who need it, whether we enjoy their company all the time or not. Because again, I'm making a bunch of clarifiers here, but they're important clarifiers, because in 17, 18, 20 years of pastoral ministry, I can't tell you the number of times that I've heard people say that I would do this for this person, but, and there's a qualifier. There are no buts in this passage. He just says, do it. Do it. Love others genuinely. If you're struggling with that, I will talk. Uh, we'll work through some examples or ways that you can demonstrate your love for others in a genuine way and become more hospitable, giving, and active in your spiritual fervency. So he says, love others genuinely. And then he continues on, because he's really dealing with relationships here. And we see our second go-to in this passage, verses 14 through 16. So go-to number one was to love others genuinely. Go-to number two is to live in harmony. Live in harmony. Live in a way that is harmonious with others, not in constant conflict and disagreement. 14 through 16. We see first in verse 14, when we think in terms of living harmoniously with others, that harmony is ultimately a choice. It's a choice that we make. Much like loving others genuinely, living in harmony is a choice. It really is. 
He says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. And you might be sitting there going, well, I'm trying to do the right thing and live in harmony with others. They don't want to live in harmony with me. Well, hold on to that. Just put a pin in that. We're going to get to that. But what we're going to deal with first is that it's a choice that starts with us. And it's, it's acknowledging that there may be people who are not interested in living harmoniously with you. Guess what? You're not off the hook. You still have to do your part. You still have to make a choice that you're going to strive to live harmoniously. That no matter what they do, no matter what they say about you, no matter how they treat you, no matter if they go behind your back or they're bold enough to say it to your face, that you're not going to return kind for kind. You're going to reflect a true believer in Jesus Christ. You're going to bless. You're going to find ways in which to build up or edify these people that are trying to break you down. And trust me, if there's any way to frost someone's cookies, it's try to bless them when they're trying to tear you down because it's very confusing for them. But it is the right thing to do. We're called to bless those who persecute us, to bless and do not curse them. So he goes so far as to say, you know, yeah, I'm telling you to do the right thing, but I know I need to also tell you not to do the wrong thing. Because Paul knew how believers thought. He knew how people thought. Paul was very intelligent. And he said, like, because new believers, it's not, I, I don't think it's an accident the new believers are likened unto children. Because there is that spiritual maturity there. And he says, this is the right thing to do. And I shouldn't have to tell you the wrong thing, but I'm going to anyway. Don't do the wrong. Do the right, but also don't do the wrong. Bless, and also make it a point not to curse as well. So it's not okay to do both. It's not okay to be nice to their face and then behind their back be however you want to be. Because that, folks, of course, is human nature, isn't it? So he actually gets to the heart of the matter. It's a choice. We make the choice to always bless others and to strive to live in harmony with them, whether they return in kind or not. And then he says this. He goes on and he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. If you want to live in harmony with other people, you also have to know how they think and how they feel, or at least try to. Try to. Live empathetically. That's one of the great things, actually, funny enough, that you find with these role-playing games where you make up a character and you try to live out their life and imagine what it would be, is they've actually done psychological studies on this and have found that when they participate, when kids participate in games like this, it teaches them empathy for other people. It makes them less selfish because they learn what it's like to try to think like someone else does. And that is wonderful for emotional growth. And people just stepping out beyond your own goals and objectives and your own thoughts and feelings and your own uh, things that you strive for in life to actually look around and go, wait a second, how are my actions and thoughts and things impacting those around me? How am what I how is what I'm doing and how I'm living and how I'm acting and how I'm treating others impacting them? What do they think and feel in these situations? And honestly, if more believers did that, I believe that the church would be a much more harmonious place instead of putting our own objectives and initiatives forward at the expense of others, thinking about how others feel and how things impact and affect them. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. So with other believers, if you have someone who is going through a great period in their life where they're rejoicing in the Lord, don't begrudge them that. Don't get jealous or envious and go, oh, I deserve that more than they did. And again, 
How many times do we think things like that as human beings? But that's why Paul had to write it down. That's why God made Paul write it down. And then when someone is mourning, take the opportunity, even if you don't know what to say, because we don't always know what to say. I can't tell you the number of times that I've been with family members who are processing a loved one passing away where, as a pastor, I want to say a bunch of things and that's not my place because it's awkward and uncomfortable and I have to take a step back and just be there with them and just sit with them and sometimes just cry with them and be reflective of their feelings. Because sometimes as believers, that's what we're called to do, to think about others and think about how others are doing spiritually, emotionally, all of it. So he says, weep with those, or rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Just think about other people. He could have just said that too, couldn't he? But sometimes we need those pictures. It's empathetic. Harmony and living harmoniously is a practice in empathy. It's all parties having the mind of Christ and putting others before themselves, like Philippians tells us. So if we're going to live in harmony, we have to make the choice to do so, even when other people don't want to live harmoniously. And then we have to be empathetic. We have to think about maybe there's a reason that they're being the way that they are. Maybe we're missing something that's going on in their lives where if we showed them an ounce of empathy, it might make all the difference in the world regarding how they're acting or being. So often as Christians, we don't do that, do we? We just write them off. And we just steer clear of them. And we miss out on harmony and unity. And honestly, I believe that is done because of the next part in verse 16. Because he says, live in harmony. He says, these are the things that you do and don't do. Now live in harmony because you're doing those things. Live in harmony with one another. And of course, he says, do this, but he includes the do not do this. What is the do not here? Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly and never be wise in your own sight. Harmony also takes humility. It takes recognizing the value of other people. Even if society devalues them, as believers, we don't. We recognize that they're a creation in the, of the, in the image of God. And that no matter what status society places on people, when they know Jesus Christ, we're brothers and sisters, we're family. And we don't look down on others, even if they're being difficult or bullheaded or any other number of adjectives we could use to describe the people in our lives who don't want to live harmoniously. You know, those people that we've written off because they're difficult and we don't want to try to empathize with them and understand that there may be a why. He says, humble yourselves. Don't be haughty. Associate with all. And don't think you're smarter than you are. Because that's a real tendency, especially in academia and higher education and Christian circles. Man, I can't tell you. It's amazing. Now, people who think that they have degrees, somehow they're better than other people. Man. <sighs> Frustrating, let me tell you. So as believers, we have a call to associate with everyone whether they have letters before or after their name, or whether they're changing trash bags. They're believers. They're brothers and sisters in Christ, and they are just as valuable in God's eyes. As believers, we should treat them as such, because we're striving to live in harmony. Live in harmony. If you want to get along with others, live in harmony. Make it your goal. Love others genuinely. Live in harmony. And then here's a drum roll on the last one. Go to number three. 
hardest one. Not even going to pretend or play. Go to number three. Let things go. Let things go. Verses 17 through 21, Paul addresses those people who've actively wronged us. They've done something deliberately and willingly to hurt us, and maybe they've done it many times. He doesn't specify or clarify, but he does tell us how to deal with it. Now, again, as I already mentioned, and I stand by, there are cases biblically where reconciliation is not possible. But forgiveness always is. Why? Because forgiveness is contingent upon us. We choose to forgive or not. And that's ultimately the foundation that you find here in this passage. Because in terms of letting things go, I'm not talking about sticking your head in the sand or ignoring or pretending it didn't happen or splitting the party to avoid having to interact with these people. I'm talking about true forgiveness. And true forgiveness is what keeps people together even when people have had times that they have not gotten along. And I cannot tell you how many times in ministry over the years that I've encountered and experienced both personally, professionally, and seen otherwise, that sometimes Christians don't get along. And the question of whether or not those organizations and groups continue to succeed and do the Lord's work and do it effectively is contingent upon those parties working through those issues. Working through those issues, being humble enough to ask forgiveness, and being humble enough to learn from one another and to strive and grow beyond those things. You don't ignore it. You don't just sweep it under the rug. You don't say, I'm going to go over here and do this because they're ignorant. It's getting together and saying, these are the issues and working through them and coming to a resolution and a reconciliation that's based in forgiveness. Paul says, let things go. Verse 17, we find letting things go is forgiving. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. It's openly forgiving. It's acknowledging that forgiveness is necessary, and it's verbally doing it. And in some cases, it's even letting the other party know whether they want to resolve it or not, that you forgive them. Because you do. And, you know, there's an old saying that not forgiving people is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Not how it works. So it's forgiving, verse 17. It's not about revenge and retribution. Letting things go is about forgiving. It's also about letting God handle it. Because God can handle things a lot better than we can. And we see that letting things go and forgiving is ultimately on us, verses 18 through 20. What does he start by saying there? I love it because it's almost like Paul has worked with people before. Well, he has, lots of them, many times, in many places. He says what? Verse 18, if possible, because it isn't always possible, like I said. There it is obviously something that is, takes two parties to be willing to work together on. But he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you. So again, where does the responsibility lie? It lies with us taking the initiative and making the choice and striving to reconcile and forgive. We have to accept our part in it. We have to let God be the avenger. None of us are superheroes. We don't get to be avengers. Okay? God is the avenger, and he says so. It's quoted here. Scripture is quoted. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So what does that mean? 
we don't have to get revenge ourselves or try to get one up on the other person. God will take care of them in whatever situation it is. All we have to do is our part to make the choice to forgive them and to let it go. We accept our part. We let God be the avenger. But there is something that we can do. There is something that we can do. We're called to a higher standard. We can choose to help instead of hurt. Because what does he say? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, to the contrary. To the contrary. So instead of not hurting, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, that doesn't mean that we're, we should be actively thinking about people being buried by fiery coals. I don't think that's appropriate, though that might be where many of us would go right away. Instead, what we need to realize is that I believe this is a picture of the vengeance of God, because fiery coals in the Old Testament, in some cases, when it came to sacrifice and things like that, fiery coals were a picture or a symbol of the vengeance of God and God's power in situations. And I believe that's the case here. So we're not literally imagining that, but it's essentially saying that God's power and God's willingness and his desire on our behalf to act is real and is powerful. And that's what it's like. So we choose to help instead of hurt. And we let him handle the rest. And ultimately, it culminates in something. It culminates in something. And I love that there's a bit of a bookend here. Because what did we see back in verse 9 as we wrap up this passage? We saw what? Verse 9, he started with, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Verse 21, what does he say? Letting things go is something. It's something powerful. 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what do we see here? When we forgive others and we let things go and we go out of our way, to make a difference in the lives of others, even hurtful, difficult people. We are overcoming the evil that comes from trying to get our own vengeance and retribution. We're overcoming it with good. We're putting good into the world. We are doing good. We are accomplishing the fruit of the Spirit, goodness. You see why it's so important? Getting along with other believers, getting along with other people, having good relationships isn't just about keeping the peace or avoiding conflict. It's about doing what is genuinely good. Because we live in a world that is divisive and filled with conflict and constantly seeks to get back and try to one-up the other. Go on the internet for a couple minutes. Just listen to politicians today. It, there's this rampant, this idea of one-upping the other, of beating the other down, of defeating the other. And it should not be said of Christians. Our goal should be to put good into the world overcome evil with good through our relationships with others. Don't split the party. So we look at verses 9 through 21. What do we learn from all of this? Well, we learn that if we want to get along with others, if that's our goal, and it should be, right? It should be, as believers, because we're one body in Jesus Christ. If we want to get along with others, we have to love genuinely, live harmoniously, and let things go. I want to ask you tonight, are you tired yet of trying to go it alone in Christian life? 
keeping people at arm's reach, of trying to avoid conflict by avoiding people? Are you tired of missing out on meaningful relationships because you're afraid to get burned again? God wants better for you than that. And you can have better than that. Will it always be easy? No. Does it mean you'll still encounter difficult people sometimes? Yes. Will you be a difficult person sometimes sometime still? Absolutely, yes, you will. I will. We all will. That's just as we grow in sanctification in Jesus Christ. Kind of like this, but hopefully it's an upward trajectory. Not pretty. It's worth it. Go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes with me. So as we reflect on what God calls us to through the words of Paul in terms of getting along with others, I want to challenge you today first to make that commitment to love genuinely. Ask God right now for a spiritual zeal and showing others the love of God through your life. Say, God, I need your power. I need your spiritual power because I want to be active in showing other people what it means to love. And I want you to love other people through me. Make a commitment to love genuinely. Second, strive to live harmoniously. Ask God to give you the grace, and you're going to need grace in this. Ask God to give you the grace to pursue humility. Making the condition of others, whether it be joy or pain, a priority. Ask God to give you the grace to pursue humility. Making the condition of others a priority. And then lastly, determine to let things go. I know it's hard. It's so important. Call out to God for the strength to forgive. Let him avenge you. He can do a much better job. Instead, invest that emotional energy into doing powerful acts of goodness, even to those who hurt us. Take that emotional energy and give it to God. Say, God, you handle the difficult stuff, and I'm going to strive to do good on your behalf in the life of whoever this person is, and let you work through me. Father God, thank you for these principles that we find in your word. Thank you for the words that Paul wrote. Thank you for using his ministry experience over all those years to help inform the words that are on the page that we read tonight. I pray that as believers, we would make it our goal to live peaceably with others as long as it is up to us and that we, in turn, through our relationships, would put good into the world and overcome evil in the process. And it's in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Christ Center Cast. Please join us again next week. God bless.